Hello, everybody. This week's parasha is parasha Vayishlach. In the beginning of the parasha, Yaakov is sending messengers to Esau, and he tells him, "Im Lavan Garti, I lived with Lavan. Vayihili Shar Bechamar, and I had oxen, and I got donkeys." And Rashi comments, "What's this expression of Im Lavan Garti? I sojourned with Lavan." Says Rashi, "It's an allusion to Taryag Mitzvah Shamarti. I I watched." the 613 mitzvahs, which means Yaakov was telling Esav, don't start up with me. I have many, many schusim, many merits. I've kept the 613 mitzvahs. The Meshachma explains according to this Rashi, he goes on this theme and he says that there's really another question in the Pasuk that has to be addressed. Yaakov tells Esav in this message, Im lavan garti, and I have shar and chamar. I have oxen and I have donkeys. Now we know later Yaakov sends Esav a tribute, a present, and he sends him many other animals, including camels, gemalim. So why make no mention of the camels? Why say only specifically that he has oxen and donkeys? Says Rashi, a very, very, very deep and important principle in understanding the difference between Yaakov and Esav, between Jews and non-Jews. Says Rashi, when other Marishan and Chava when they sinned by the Eitz Hadas, what happened was, was that before the sin, they were inherently good. And there was the Eitz Sahara, the, the, the snake, the enticing, the, the, the desire to go against Hashem was external. It was outside them. Once they ate from the Eitz Hadas, as Rashi tells us that they then, the Nachash cohabitated with Chava, and he put Zuama inside her, he put a certain evil inside her. And from then on, humanity has had inside them evil as part of them. The Yitzhahara became a part of them. It was no longer external. That was all up, up until the coming of the Avais. Avram Avinu, Yitzchak, and finally Yaakov. Avram Avinu began the process of perfecting mankind and getting mankind back to Admarishan before the sin of the Yitzhadas. Now, as part of that process, to get that, that evil out of him, some of that evil went out into Yishmal. Yitzchak continued the process, and some of that evil came out of him and went into Yisav. Yaakov finally is completely pure after going through everything he went through, after all the years of working for Lavan and learning in Shem Ve'ever, and now Yaakov finally has these 12 children, the 12 Shvatim, who can be in Klaisro, perfect and complete on the level of Adamarishan before the sin, in the sense that the Yetzirah is no longer an integral part of who they are, but rather it's external. The essence of a Jew, says the Meshachachma, wants to do the right thing. And that is why we have a concept in Yiddishkeit, says the Meshachachma, of, of forcing someone to do a mitzvah. And the Ramam explains, what does it mean you force someone to do a mitzvah? What that means, it says the Ramam, because really every Jew inherently and internally wants to do the right thing, it's his Yitzhahara that's ex- that's external, that's that's kind of controlling him and forcing him to do the bad thing. And therefore, by forcing him and kind of taking the reins away from the Yitzhahara, we're letting him do what he really wants to do, because deep down, every Jew is good and wants to do the right thing. And that's something we got from Yaakov, Yitzhak, and Avram getting us to the point where we're no longer at Adam region after the sin, but really closer to Adam region before the sin. And really, the Meshachach went a different place in the, in the end of the Akedah. He says, that's why we find that by a Jew, a machshava teva, a good a good thought, a good desire, 
it counts as if he did the good thing. Whereas by non-Jews, you find the opposite. A a bad thought, counts as if you already did the evil deed, which seems not fair. Why is the Jews' good good thoughts are enough to be considered as if he did something good, whereas a bad thought, we'd say, nah, he didn't do it in the end, therefore it doesn't count against him. And with non-Jews, it's the opposite. But says Meshachachim over there, this same idea, because since a Jew inherently wants to do good, so his machshava tev, his good thought, we know that that's what he really wants to do, and that's what he would have done had he been given the opportunity. But bad thoughts, bad machshavas, the idea is to do something wrong, he, that's not inherently who he is, and therefore he wouldn't have actually done it, and therefore since, as long as he doesn't do it, he's not held liable for it. Whereas by Goyim, since they are still stuck in the level of other region after the sin, even a bad thought, okay, but that's part of who they are, their essence still has the eight Sahara inside them, and therefore there's no reason to not count a bad thought like a bad deed. That being said, says the Meshachachon, that's what Yaakov is telling Esav over here. He's saying, I have shor and chamar. I have animals that are clearly kosher, like an ox, it's clearly kosher, and a chamar, a donkey, which is clearly treif. I don't have any gemalim. I have no camels, because camels are a funny breed. They have some kosher signs, but not all. They chew their cud, but their hooves aren't completely split. And therefore, says Yaakov, I'm not going to mention those here because that's not what I'm bringing out of right now. What I'm bringing out is the point that I've gotten myself where the evil, the, the tumah, the chamar, and the shar, which is a tara, the purity, are completely separate and are not mixed together. Which is, again, the opposite of Esav, who is known and defined as being like the chazir, the pig, who shows his split hooves, but internally he's still not chewing his cud. He doesn't have that cementara because he still has the Sahara very much as a part of who he is in his essence. Further on in the parsha, Malachim come back to Yaakov and they tell him that Esav is coming with 400 men. And the Pasuk says, Vayar, Yaakov got very afraid of Yetzarloi. And he was in pain. And Rashi says, What's well, Vayetzarloi? Says Rashi, he was in pain that maybe either he would get killed, obviously, or that perhaps he would have to kill others. And the morale in Goraria over there explains that why does Rashi say they'll kill others? Say he'll have to kill Esav. Yaakov felt bad they might have to kill Esav. Says morale because it's not what's going on. Killing Esav would be totally fine. Someone is coming to kill you, you kill them first. What Yaakov was afraid of was that he might have to kill people amongst Esau's 400 men, and perhaps there'd be some innocence among them. <clears throat> Maybe not everyone there was coming with the intention of killing Yaakov. Maybe some of them came just to serve Esau, and <clears throat> Yaakov wouldn't be able to discern who's who, and he may kill some innocent people in the struggle, and that was a Yaakov was by Yetzirah. That's what pained him in this process. Now, the Sefer Minchas Usher, Rav Usher Weiss, he has a long piece discussing when going, you know, when Israel's fighting in Gaza about killing civilian casualties who are, unfortunately, there's no other way to attack the terrorists. You have to bomb them, and sometimes there's civilian casualties. So he brings this morale, which morale seems to imply that, again, it's very much, a, it's something Yaakov did not want to do. Morale says the language of a chet bishgaga, a sin, inadvertent sin, to kill Innocent civilian bystanders. The problem is, says the Mechasajer, is that if you look further on in this very parsha, the morale seems very much to contradict himself. There's a stira. Why? Because later in the parsha, we know the story of Dina and Shechem. 
and the Shimon and Levi come, they trick the whole city, and they went after the third day of the Milo, they come and they wipe out the whole city, they kill out every male, adult male in Shechem. And the Ramban and the Rambam have a strong debate as to what was the heter, what was the legal, so to speak, permission for them to kill all the residents of Shechem. Only Shechem himself was the one who had sinned against them. He's the one who took Dina. So why are they killing the rest of the people in the city? And the Rambam and the Ramban give different reasons. What was the heter? And the morale here in Gurarie on Rashi, he says, I don't get the whole question. What do you mean? You have a war. And when you have a war, you fight against the whole nation. So do we say that there is a sin in killing innocent civilians when you have a war or not? So the Mikhail Sasha explains, you have to read the morales carefully. The morale by Shechem says a very important rule, a very important distinction. He says, when you have a, a war between two Amim, two nations, for example, Yisrael and Canaan, Klai Yisrael, the sons of Yaakov, against the nation of Canaan, which is Shechem and his city, then says the morale, we don't view individuals as separate entities. We look at it each as an Am. There's one nation and one nation. And a nation that's at war with another nation, the whole nation is viewed as one entity. And therefore, we don't distinguish the innocent civilians and warriors. There's one war going on between my nation and your nation. And therefore, anybody who gets killed is all part of the war. There's no Isser of killing innocent civilians if that's what it takes to win the war over against this nation. However, the morale by us was talking about Yaakov and Esau. This wasn't a war between two nations. Yaakov and Esau at this point were not still two different nations. They were still both the sons of Yitzchak, and they were just kind of two individuals having to struggle. And therefore, if any innocent civilian would be killed, it would be a chet v'shkaga, and that's why Yaakov was afraid. And this is a very, very important distinction that has to be understood. L'halacha says the Mechaz this idea that when it's nation against nation, we don't see individuals as separate entities. We see it as one whole. Whereas when it's individuals fighting, then there's no heter of, of this kind of person who's of innocent bystanders being taken into the conflict. Further on in the parasha, the parasha tells us how Yaakov Avinu gets attacked by the Tsar of Esav, the angel of Esav, and he fights the whole night. And finally, he wounds Yaakov in the Giranasha. And Yaakov escapes, and he gives Yaakov a bracha, the whole story. And the Chavetz Chaim asks that, you know, you don't find that any other one of the Avais, Avram or Yitzchak, ever got attacked by any angel. We understand that each one of the Avais was very, very important and fundamental in creating the nation of Klai Yisrael. But why is only Yaakov challenged by an angel, not Avram or Yitzchak? The Chavetz Chaim explains as follows. He says that, yes... Arvavinu was the one who created Klai Yisrael, and he laid down the foundation of Klai Yisrael as a nation of Chesed, which is one of the three pillars of the world. Yitzchak created Klai Yisrael, and he's the one who put down the foundation of Avoida in Klai Yisrael. Klai Yisrael serves the Kaddish Baruch with the tefillah, and through giving up of themselves to the point where Yitzchak literally sacrificed himself by the Akedah, and he's the Amud of Avoida. Yaakov, says the Chavetz Chaim, he is the Amud, he is the foundation and the pillar of Torah and Klai Yisrael. He's the one who put Torah into the essence of Klai Yisrael through his intense learning in Shem Eber for 14 years and is constantly being the Ishtam, 
the one who just sits and learns Torah. Says the Chafetz Chaim, the angel of Esau came and said, now when Klai is coming to get its most powerful tool, the Torah, Klai is becoming finally this nation that has Torah in it, then I can't stand, I have to stop, I have to do whatever I could to try to block that. And therefore came Esau's angel and he attacked Yaakov and did whatever he could to try to uproot the Amud HaTayra, the pillar of Tayra from Klai And that, says the Chafetz Chaim, has been the final frontier, the final battle for the past thousands of years is that Esau and all the Yetzirahs and all the people who have come up against Klai Yisrael, throughout generations, they've always attacked against this Amud of Klai Yisrael, this pillar of Klai Yisrael, which is the pillar of Tayra, because it's Klai Yisrael's most powerful weapon, it's Klai Yisrael's most powerful tool, it's going to get them out of Gullus, and the Yetzirah wants to do whatever he could to try to stop that. And our job is to keep fighting throughout the night like Yaakov did, because the Hashem, if we keep pushing back and we keep strengthening our commitment to Torah, Mirza Hashem will be zayichet to see the final geula and the dawn of Mashiach. After Yaakov manages to win against this angel of Esau, the Sarash Esau, it says he limps back home and he gets to his family in the camp. And then Vayisa Enov, he raises up his eyes and he sees that Esav is coming, running towards him. And the Sefer Aznayim Matera asks, why does Tara use this language of Vayisa Enov? He raises up his eyes and then he sees Esav coming. Just say, Vayar Yaakov, Yaakov saw. Says Aznayim Matera as follows, we know Rashi tells us in the beginning of the parasha, that Yaakov, when he found out the terrible news that Esav's coming against him to attack him, Yaakov did three things. He did his ishtadlus in the sense of sending gifts and bribes and tribute to Esau. And then he prepared himself for war. He divided his family into two camps and he got ready to fight Esau if need be. And then finally, he did the third ishtadlus, which is he went and he davened Akash Baruch Hu for protection against Esau. Says his Naya Matera, Yaakov just experienced a very, very difficult night. He went back to go get some pachim tanim, some jugs, to get to try to save some money, some things he forgot. And he got into very, very big trouble for that. He almost got killed by the angel of Esau, trying to save a few dollars and getting back his pachim tanim. So Yaakov learned that money wasn't always something that helps you. Yaakov tried to fight. He fought against the Malach of Esau, and now Yaakov, unfortunately, was wounded. He was limping, and he didn't feel like he really has any chance to go and fight against Esav in any physical way. So Yaakov has nothing left out of his original plan, out of his th- first three options, two have been shut down. And the only one he really has left is Tefillah. So Yaakov, Ayisa Yaakov, Esav, Yaakov raises up his eyes, says as it doesn't mean he was looking, it means he was looking up at heaven. He was looking at Shemayim and saying, Baruch Hu, I have nothing left but Tefillah to you. And that, says Aznai Matera, was the ultimate schus, that Vayisa Yaakov is Enav. Yaakov raising up his eyes and recognizing that ultimately, after all his ishtalas that he tried, the only thing that really is going to make a difference was his tefillah. Then he was zeichet to see the of running towards him, but not to attack him, but to hug him and to kiss him. And that, says Aznai Matera, is that Tara's message to us is that, yes, we must do our ishtalas. We must try to do whatever we could. But we have to know that ultimately, Everything is pinned on by Yisa Yaakov Enav. We just have to look up to Shemayim 
and ask Akash Baruch Hu to help us. And that's really what's going to take us out of our problems. Just want to end off with one last point. The parasha talks at the end of the parasha about how Rachel Yemen is giving birth to Binyamin. And the parasha mentions that the and the midwife tells her, Altiri, don't be afraid. That this too for you is a son. And the Soporno explains that the reason she was afraid to be a daughter is because she was having extreme birthing pains, which is a sign of a girl. And the Mayalda has told her, don't, don't worry, that no, even though it feels like it's a girl, really, it's a boy, and this is your second son. But Rev. Ivarlaim Steinman in a safer artist, he points out, he's like, we don't usually find a Torah quoting snippets of conversation unless there's a specific reason for it. Why does the Torah feel it's so important for us to know what the Mialadas told her about, you know, while she was having childbirth? And he explains that the Torah is teaching us a very important lesson. That what was Mialadas telling us her this? Why was she telling her this point? She wanted to calm her down. She wanted to tell her something nice that even though she's having such extreme pain, don't be afraid. You're having that second son that you daven for. And he says, the Torah is telling us that for posterity, this Mialadas, her statement is being written down for eternity to teach us how important saying something nice, even though it doesn't necessarily change anything, it doesn't necessarily make a huge difference, but every little bit, every nice thing you tell somebody is important and it's eternal. And that's why Torah wrote down this statement on Mialadas to teach us this point. We should all have a wonderful and sweet Shabbos.